welcome back. I am Charles Musgrove, your host of Answers That Count. You know what we do. We talk about knowledge. We try to bring knowledge to the business owner, to those running businesses. We try to provide them with information that can help them do things better. And today we have another great guest in the studio. We've got Sean Amirati. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be a great show. Good. So Sean is, he's, he's got the, uh, he's from all over. He's down in Sarasota, Florida right now. And he goes back and forth up to Pittsburgh. Uh, Sean, are you still associated with Carnegie Mellon? Good, good. So, so Sean is, he's got uh, a lot of experience documenting the entrepreneur pathway. So you even teach a you teach a class in that as well. So I think your your knowledge in this is going to be one that that we just it's a great perspective that we've not had on the show yet. So I, I'm really looking forward to the show. I think it's going to be good. I think the people that are that are listening and watching to the show, I think there's going to be a lot there too. So thank you, and um, let's let's kind of tee up what we want to talk about for the for the radio show. And you know we're still in. Corona. I mean, this is you're in Florida. I'm in Florida. I'm in the the north part of Florida, up in Tallahassee, and we've got an office over in Destin, also. And uh, you know, the governor of Florida, he's he Florida's been on been one of the states that uh, that has opened early, and he is even as the number of cases have spiked, he's continued to to uh, push to keep the state open. I, I saw where he's he's pushed to have the the school system open in the fall and. All of that is, is uh, I think, one of the keys is that is to keep businesses open. So, you know, to keep, to, to get the parents uh, able to work a normal schedule, then a lot of that is dependent upon the, the children to be able to go back to school. So, um, you know, Corona, today is July the 7th, uh, 2020, so we are still in the coronavirus. Sean, I, I, when we started uh, doing these shows during Corona, it became obvious that we needed to stay, say the date that we're doing this recording because, man, so much happened so fast. Yeah. I was thinking back, so I was in the middle of teaching a class at Carnegie Mellon in March when, when cases in the United States spiked up, right? And we had, you know, two days to transition from in-person classes to online classes, right? Because... Basically, our students went home for spring break, and we said, uh, never mind, um, for your safety, we prefer you just to, to stay home. Now, we had some international students who, for a variety of reasons, couldn't get home, and we you know, continued to support them because that's the, the right thing to do. But even then, in that case, we were spreading them out across a bunch of the dorms and having them take their classes from their dorm room, not in their class. So all of our students went from in-person students to online students in, uh, in a couple days, and professors uh, went from teaching in classrooms to teaching over settings like this in the same couple of days. So uh, this world has changed quickly, and it, it certainly does continue to feel like every time you think you have your arms around what's going on with COVID, it's still, uh, it, it surprises us again. It changes, yeah. You know, that's a, that, that's funny, the, uh, the recollection you have of of the change and delivery method of of the education so that we were doing it's funny you said that because we were doing 
a uh, we we interviewed a professor, economics professor from FSU, uh, Professor Joe Calhoun, and we interviewed him during uh, the FSU spring break, which probably was the same time, or probably maybe it may have been a week off of what what you had. And they were under the same thing, you know, at that time when they let the kids go for for spring break, there was nobody said you're not coming back. But but during that spring break time. There was the decision made. Okay, we're not going to reconvene in person. We're going to continue the the semester on a remote basis. So exactly right, and that's that was probably the case across the entire United States for the for the college system. It was okay. Not only was that a change for for the students, but all the all the teachers, all the professors, they had to if they weren't already doing online education, they had to they had to convert their system quickly. Yeah, you know, I can't argue with you, and it's, um, I know for our business, we have the Bean Team, which is an outsourced accounting firm, and we were already set up so that we could do all the work on a remote basis because, you know, we can provide that service to any company anywhere because of the how you can transmit and how you can securely transmit and store and save data, and all of your applications can be online and accessed by anybody that has power, electricity, and, and internet connection. So it, that the transition for us was not that difficult. We could go remote and have people work from home, you know, just with a snap of the finger. But I think that's the right question is, what does it look like after? And, and it's probably not the right assumption to say, what can we return to the normal as it was pre-COVID? The, the answer to that is, in most cases, probably not. Now, just like with the education system, the 
as as my good friend uh, Professor Joe would always say, is classes were not canceled. It was the method of delivering the same education. So the delivery method changes. So we have to adapt to whatever our business is. Is it education? Is it accounting? Is it whatever? Is it a legal service? Is it, you know, we've, we've had some, some uh, stuff where we've dealt with, with mediation. Well, the mediation, if you remember, that was all you would go to the mediator's office and everybody goes off into their, their own little corner. Well, now they do the same thing on Zoom. So uh, the, the attorneys that I've talked to, that's, that is a, that's a much more effective uh, way to, to conduct those mediations rather than him driving for three hours one way, having the mediation for eight hours and then driving three hours back home. So now he can do that much more effectively and, and probably the whole process is done uh, more effectively as well, quicker, uh, more efficiently than it was before in person. So, you know, there's, there's a, whatever your business is, whatever it was, uh, the, it's going to take some adaptation. And in some cases, there may be businesses that they just don't survive what the new, what the new thing looks like after COVID. I, I mean, that's just kind of the, the hard fact of it. Right. Absolutely. And the food industry is another. I mean, you've got where these these restaurants were now, now they had to focus on, let's make our, our pickup and delivery, our carryout business the best that it can be until we can safely reconvene inside, whatever that looks like. So, you know, who knows what that's going to ultimately look like in the future uh, because you have, okay, we deem it to be safe and then you have the perception of people and the fears of people to go back in public and to eat in public and to eat in close places. So, you know, there's a lot of that that is, uh, this is going to take time to work out, but as soon, but the quicker you can adapt 
or adjust your delivery method, the better you your chances of survival. That is true. Yeah. Online grocery delivery has gone from about two percent to about twenty percent in the last two months. We certainly, and I, and I don't, I don't think it's going back to two percent. It might go back to fifteen, back to ten. But I can tell you, when I walk around my neighborhood, people who used to think that there's no way I'd use Instacart to get my groceries are now telling me there's no way I'm ever walking back into a public again. Yeah. And and so so like this, that's what public infrastructure the world is going to look like. Ten years from now, unfortunately, it happened in, a, in six weeks. Right. But but, is it, but that's the but that's the that's the reimagining, right? And and food delivery the same way. Why do you think Uber is, you know, getting their checkbook out to, to buy more food delivery companies? Because they know that this isn't local. Right. What the world looks like on a, on a forward basis. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, let's. Um, Entrepreneurship. That's let's talk about that. Let's let's kind of tee that up for the show, and we'll we'll kick off the show. But your experience, and you touched on this in in the in the classes and the education that you deliver, is around entrepreneurship. Not only are you a classroom guy, but you you have practical, real experience in that field as well. So that that really is, a, I think, a unique opportunity, a unique perspective that that you can talk about today. Let's do, let's, uh, I think we're probably, let's save that for the show. I think let's start out with that. We'll do a, uh, we'll have a little bit of music and outro and then we'll, we'll, uh, get intro right into the, the radio show. We'll introduce you again, uh, for the radio audience and then we'll just, we'll jump right into the, the, uh, entrepreneurship. So I think that'll be good. And then if we, if we want to touch on anything else that we don't cover during the show, we'll, we'll just do a post show. We'll just drag that out. Okay, so John, why don't you play us a little bit of music and we'll get started. Welcome to Answers That Count. If you own a business, you can count on us to give you the answers you need to succeed in all aspects of your business. And now, here's your host, Charles Musgrove. Welcome back. I am Charles Musgrove, your host of Answers That Count. You know what we do. We bring those nuggets of knowledge to help you run your business better, to make sure you don't step in the pothole of business life. We try to keep you out of trouble. We try to keep you going down the right track, and we try to bring you the good information to do it right. And today we have a special guest in the house, Sean Emirati. Thank you so much, Sean. Sean is... He's from Carnegie Mellon up in Pittsburgh, and he he lives down in Sarasota, Florida. So, Sean, we thank you for making time to join us today on our show. I think it's going to be a great show. We're going to focus on entrepreneurship. That's your wheelhouse. You teach about it. Not only do you teach about it in the classroom, you've written books about it, and you also live it. You're an entrepreneur yourself. You've been in the world. You've had one of your companies, if I read this right, one of your companies purchased by LinkedIn. Wow, that's that's pretty big. I mean, that if anything's going to put you in the credibility standpoint, that's going to do it right there. Yeah, I, I, I always say that entrepreneurship is, is a skill that's learned 
kind of as an apprentice, like you do it, and then you teach other people to do it. Um, there certainly are faculty members who, are, who try to teach it without having a lot of experience, but I think uh, it looks, I mean, you know this from running your own business, right? It looks much cleaner in a textbook than it does in the real world. Yeah, you know, you say that, and it's, uh, I'm sure you're the same way. I think back on the, the professors that I had and the teachers that I had in college, and the ones that I learned the most from, the ones that were the most uh, engaging to learn from, were those that had actually been out in the real world and had done it. So they're bringing back life experiences. You knew they were credible because they, they were speaking from a voice of experience. So that adds so much to the classroom, and you're, you're exactly right. So thank you for joining us today. I think, I think you're going to bring that both perspectives, both the, the academic perspective as well as the this is how you do it perspective. Absolutely. I think a lot of people use that term and they mean slightly different things. So when I think about an entrepreneur, what I think about is someone who looks out into the world, sees things that aren't as they believe the world should be, and builds products and services that make the world the way it ought to be. And while that may feel like a flowery definition to your audience, Unless you're driving in your car right now, just take a moment and close your eyes for 10 seconds and think about all the ways that the world is more magical than it was 20 years ago. And what I would say is, behind each of those things you thought about, there's an entrepreneur who made that product or service, or a team of entrepreneurs who did it, right? So from the Tesla in your driveway to the Peloton in your den, to the iPhone in your pocket, there is an entrepreneur who made each of those products what they are. They saw that product in the world before the rest of the world saw it, built the product and service, and then had the world catch up with them. That's a, that's a great way to look at it. Thank you. And to me, the important point here is, if that's the definition of entrepreneurship, then we need to be really committed to as many people as possible themselves as entrepreneurs and behaving like an entrepreneur, right? And, so, and some of your audience will be thinking, like, well, well, I work in, a, I work in an established company, right? Because I know you talk about this for brand new companies, but also for established companies, right? That's right. So one of the products I just mentioned was the iPhone. Apple was a very large company. That's right. Now, it turns out it's a much larger company today. Thanks to the iPhone, but yes, that's right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we can have more people thinking about those solutions to them. That's just that's just a, a great mission. And so, you know, as you said, I started my career as an entrepreneur. I actually dropped out of graduate school at Carnegie Mellon. I told my professor, 
<laughs> and look what you are. <laughs> I like that, yeah. Oh, you can hopefully... Right, that keeps you sharp. So I, I, I would echo the, the, um, the process that you're trying to, to teach the, the kids, those young entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs to be, is, okay, these are the mistakes I made. Don't do that. You, you can't really predict what mistake they may make, but they're going to learn that on their own. So I always like to uh, learn from other people's mistakes because making mistakes can be expensive, both, not just financially, but just they take a human toll on, toll on you. That is interesting. Yeah, I would think that's true. I think it's probably not as as objective that there's probably an element of of um, attitude or uh, psychology involved in the entrepreneur learning more so than there is a math skill or an accounting skill or a science skill. Right. That's right. Right. But what I can tell you, and this is this is how you teach entrepreneurs, I can tell you that entrepreneurs who are more successful than other entrepreneurs tend to do more of this than that. And there's lots of principles I can lay out. And then I can tell you, here are processes and frameworks to help you do the desired behavior and avoid the not desired behavior. And then I can give you a chance to apply that, like immediately. And then I can expose you to entrepreneurs who've had similar experiences and tell you their stories. And what I found is when you do that, it's amazing how you can change people's beliefs about themselves and ultimately make them think of themselves much more as an entrepreneur. I like that. Now, I'm going to throw this question out. So if you had, see if your answer is different to this, because you your your first question that you posed was, can 
entrepreneurship be taught or is it just a, a were you born with it? Is it a gift? I, I would, I would, I'm going to throw this out. If, can it be taught? I'm sure the answer is yes, it can, but the, the cost of this is going to be just terrible. The best way to learn that is in a structured learning format like you have. If, if you just, if you just pick people at random and said, is that person an entrepreneur? Because there are, there's, there's a ton of people that are entrepreneurs that have not gone through a formal program like you have, and they're successful at it. But those people, you would say, okay, they they are they're born with some, they're given some kind of God-given gift to be able to endure that process, or they have the drive to be successful and to be an entrepreneur. Right. Yeah. It was not accepted back then. That's right. Right. Where they go to school. Am I going to go to Florida State or am I going to go to, you know, a, another university, right? They, Florida State wants to have a good, a good answer for how you can teach entrepreneurship. So it's become much more important to figure out how to teach it. But what I found is the things that I'm teaching today were things that entrepreneurs 20, 30 years ago, sort of like tribal knowledge, they just sort of told each other. And they kind of self-discovered it, right? And they stumbled into to these principles, but they may not have had the vocabulary, they may not have had the processes, they may not have had the same tools. And so, what I found is that when you, when today, and we're able to provide that, we're able to dramatically improve and, and lift the success rate up. It's not that the success rate was zero before, and now we're creating things like this. It's that maybe we're going from. 20% Which that's big. So it's it's almost like the uh, you know the success rate for uh, not to pick on restaurants, but the success rate for a franchise restaurant is much greater than an independent. And part of the reason is there's a system in place. There's a there's a there's a menu in place. You know there's a here's the book on how to do it. So what you have is okay, here's all the tribal knowledge of those successful entrepreneurs all in a in a book or in a class or here's the process to do it to improve our chance of success. That's literally, that has been my mission for the last 10 years, right? Has been providing vocabulary, creating processes, figuring out different ways that I can turn that into different materials that help different people learn this, whether it's videos or books or speeches or workshops or classrooms or investing in them, right? But but across the board, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say, like, look, this isn't new. It's not like, but I'll give you a really easy example that people will nod their heads, but if you 
rewind the clock 20 years ago, so many entrepreneurs didn't do this, even though it's obvious 20 years later that they should have. <laughs> Talking to potential customers early in the development of a business is one of the best things you can do. You know that. You're an entrepreneur, right? You're right. Well, of course. But what we've done is we've given them tools like Therapy's Green Startup Framework as a tool going, okay, and here's how you talk to customers, and these are techniques you can use, and this is the vocabulary you can apply to. And all of a sudden, we go from a 5% success rate to a 10 or 15 or 20% success rate just by getting them to that one thing. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's the little things that make the difference. And if you can systemize those things and have a process, then just like you're you're saying, your stats for success go way up dramatically. Now, when you when you put your uh, as you said skin in the game, do you how much can you insist, or do you do the overlay of okay, here's the system that we want you to use, or we're going to require you to use if we're going to put money into this game? Right. <laughs> and my investors didn't invest, you know, the, the funds I'm investing out of those investors didn't invest in me to try to run 12 or 15 or 20 companies myself. Right. Right. They invested in me to pick great entrepreneurs, try to give them tools and frameworks and help those people be successful. So, so I think of it as more like a coach. Right. Like a player. Got it. You know, hey, this is something you might want to try. And different entrepreneurs need different amounts of help, and that's fine. Um, but I can tell you, uh, I, I think all of them would say, like, you know, there's different things along the way where I've given them some of these frameworks, some of these tools, some of these principles, and it's helped them increase their, their velocity, increase their, their, their scaling, all of that. Well, that's good. Plus, I'm sure that that allows you, when you're, when you're interviewing, when you're talking to these potential uh, companies to invest in, and you talk to the, the entrepreneurs in those businesses, that get, you that puts you at a different perspective that you're able to determine or judge what their long-term run is, their success, their success rate. Yeah, I think, I think um, a lot of this stuff has helped me figure out the right kinds of questions to ask entrepreneurs on the, on the front end as well. I published a series of Medium posts about a year ago where I laid out the five first questions I always ask entrepreneurs because I found that like these are very predictive questions for for us. And it's not that there's always one right answer to them, it's like giving them the questions ahead of time. It's right. like giving someone the test ahead of time, they can really prepare for it and then you can have really great conversations around those questions. Good. I was gonna ask you what the uh, for a successful entrepreneur, the top ten list, maybe it maybe the start is those five questions. Here is these are 
these are companies that are already started. Mm-hmm. These are companies that are growing. We're typically investing, you know, uh, $500,000 or $750,000. So they're, they're pretty early in their development. And the idea behind these is that these are questions where I'm saying, okay, help me understand um, help me understand these elements of your of your business. And so the five questions that I would ask them is, first of all, and I can go right back to my definition of entrepreneurship, if your business is successful, what does the world look like in three to five years? That's a different question than what are your financial projections in three to five years. We'll get to that in a little bit. Right. But it's just help me understand what success looks like to you. Then the next question gets to this contrarian and correct thing. Okay, what do you believe about your business that's correct, that's contrarian, and why do you believe that's correct, even though the market at large might think that's contrarian? Interesting. And, and, and this comes to the types of businesses we're investing in. Right? We're, we're tending to invest in, in tech businesses that are fairly asymmetric. And so, um, you know, if a business is obvious, it's probably not a venture-backed business because the, the question obviously is why haven't people already created that business? Right. Let me, let me talk a little bit about what they've done so far. So you say, how much money have you raised and spent to date? And what have you, what key assumptions about your business have you validated with those investment dollars so far? Because I'm going to invest, you know, an incremental five hundred seven fifty thousand dollars in this business. If they've raised twenty five thousand dollars, being a good steward of that twenty five thousand is often a very good predictor for them being a good steward of the of right the additional money. That's right. The next one, if they say, if you're successful, what's your unfair competitive advantage? And then the last one does get to be financial predictor. They say, what are the key assumptions driving your financial model? Right, and then uh, related to that. What are the milestones you think you need to achieve for your next round of funding? So, the milestones that you will achieve with this funding to get you to say, okay, we've been successful. We're going to check the box. We we use these funds correctly. We achieve the goals that we wanted to. Now let's go to the next phase. Exactly. Just like you spent the twenty-five thousand to, to merit, you know, a half million to a, a three quarters of a million. Then you're going to take that money and you're going to use the things you proven there to go raise 5, 10, 15, 20 million. We have companies that, that I've invested in a few years ago that have gone on to raise over $100 million. Wow. So, um, you know, many, many financial matters that can be there. Right. Well, that takes a uh, an entrepreneur with a lot of, they believe in what they have, they've got something good, and they've, they've got the tenacity to, to endure the run. Right. Like, like I, I want, I, I'm able to, to control my own destiny. I think there's lots of different types of great entrepreneurs that are all making the world a better place, and, and I'm trying to, to work with different groups of them in different ways. But these questions specifically are really drivers that people who are looking uh, to, to raise money and, and get on that sort of treadmill of, of venture financing. Right. What if you if you were to uh, if you had uh, besides the five questions, those got the five questions that you're asking. Those are people that have kind of been in the game. What what would be the uh, the five recommendations that you would make to a potential entrepreneur? Yeah. So first of all, I'd say don't obsess about the problems your customers have. 
and, and people often push back on this. They say, well, you know what, Sean, like, um, have you heard of this guy named Henry Ford? He said, if I asked my customers what they would have wanted, what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. Right. Or they'll hold up their iPhone and they'll say, I, I didn't know I wanted an iPhone. So people, they're saying people can't imagine or can't envision what a better product looks like. That's the pushback. But I think it's an incorrect pushback. First of all, for what it's worth, and, and my friend at, at Harvard went and did this work, Patrick Foster, he called the Ford Museum. Henry Ford never said that, just for what it's worth. But, but <laughs> if you imagine for a minute what he might have said, I actually don't think that Henry Ford had gone and talked to his customers, they would have told him they wanted a faster horse. I think they would have told them they wanted a horse they don't have to clean up after. Feed. They would have told them like, a horse that doesn't need to sleep. Uh, a horse that doesn't wake up Sunday tired and surprise them that they can't go anywhere for the day. Right. So they could have told him the problems that they had. Now, Pete, now the magic of entrepreneurship is you learn about customer problems and then you apply your entrepreneurial vision, that vision of how the world ought to look like, to come up with the right solution. So in the iPhone example, I could have told you the problem with my BlackBerry was terrible at opening web links. I would not have known, I would not have articulated to you that the solution was getting rid of the keyboard. In fact, before seeing the iPhone, I probably would have told you the one thing I knew you shouldn't do with my BlackBerry. Is to get rid of the keyboard. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So there's, there's a difference between asking your customer what the right solution is and asking your customer and trusting about their problems. So yeah. So going out and being obsessed about your customer's problems. That is always step one. Uh, step two is make sure you're targeting a business that's large enough meaningful for you. And that's a different answer for everybody. But, but one of the things that I think is tragic is entrepreneurship is a risky endeavor, and you want to make sure that you don't end up achieving failure where you have a successful business, but it's so small that it's, it's marginal. That you have. Right. Good. I like that. Understand the understand the potential of what this success is in this business. That's right. So, so assess other customer problems and then you're looking for okay, if this business succeeds, how big can it be? Do I feel good about that? Good. You know, I think another question that's that's really helpful to ask is, um, does your product delight customers, or does the vision for your product or service delight customers the first time they interact with it? I think, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, The Science of Growth. I think people really underestimate how important a magical first interaction with a product is. True. And, you know, one of the things I often point to for this is think about all the people who watch YouTube videos of unboxing products or HGTV kind of unboxing a. Uh, the reveal. That's right. About that first interaction with the product right. The big reveal. So let's do the, uh, before we get out of time, we'll come back after the show. Those that are that are watching on YouTube or or a podcast, if you're listening on the radio, go check these out. We're gonna we're gonna pick up a little bit more of the meat of this discussion afterwards. But let's get the last two before the end of the show. Okay, so, so the last two would be figure out how you can dramatically accelerate your growth rate once you solve those what I call prerequisites or these kind of foundational elements. And then the last thing is have an operating system for your business to once you get into high growth mode, stay in this high growth mode. Now, you did not mention in any of those five funding. Yeah, I don't think every business needs funding. But there, there comes a point at every business has to understand 
what it what the cost is. So maybe it's not funding, but there's a there's a cost element. Sean, this has been a great show. You've been listening to Answers That Count. I am Charles Musgrove. Join us every Sunday morning at 1130 a.m. right here on Real Talk 93.3. If you're listening on the radio, check out the rest of the show. We're going to have a little bit of post-show, Answers That Count YouTube, Answers That Count podcast on all your favorite platforms. Go check it out. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace. Answers That Count is brought to you by The Bean Team. For all your business accounting needs, visit beanteam.com for more info. You can listen to more episodes of Answers That Count on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, or visit AnswersThatCount.com. All right, Sean, that was good. Let's. Uh, I want to finish up on a couple of those. We kind of rushed through the, the uh, we were talking about the cost. So you've you've kind of included the cost element in that in in number I believe it's number two to make sure that that there's going to be enough reward for the risk that you're that you're going into. Right. But in each of those cases, there's a there's a, a, a risk and a cost that needs to be weighed against the potential reward there. Right. Yeah, I love the um, the 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 focus that you've got in both both sets of those the the questions that you ask the the existing entrepreneur and as well as those that the potential entrepreneur in obsessing over the problem or what is what would the customer want. And, and like you said, the Henry Ford question, I doubt that if Henry Ford had asked that question that anybody's going to say, well, I want a car. I want an F-150. Nobody's going to say that. They're going to, like you said, they want a horse that, that doesn't need to sleep, one that, that doesn't stink or poop in the street, one that can get me there faster. If I can travel, if I can go from point A to point B, in a more convenient and a more comfortable environment. That's that's what they wanted. They wanted uh, better travel, not necessarily a better horse, even though they may not have been able to articulate just what does that look like. So so that entrepreneur has to they have to take that problem, that information from the customer, and adapt that to okay. This is what I can create. Right. And you realize that what you're in the business of is achieving learning objectives and helping people succeed. 
Yeah, and I think that you know that, go, that those are great examples and uh, things to look at, and that that goes to every business and every industry. One thing I wanted to uh, we'll leave it we'll leave leave it with this. So instead of doom and gloom, let's think about boom and doom. So we're going to have after this COVID, we're going to have industries and businesses that there's going to be a great upside, but there's also going to be some that's going to have a struggle. They're going to have to figure out what what does that adaption, what does that pivot look like. So there could be some potential doom on that side. So let's start out with the positive. What do you think those businesses, those industries are that that's going to have a lot of upside potential? So I think I think telemedicine Yeah, I would agree. It's uh, it really puts the the entrepreneur, the business owner, at a true test because you know they're going to have to reimagine is kind of the the catchword that we see a lot right now. But it it really is going to they have to almost start over. It's like okay, I'm I'm delivering food or I'm getting food to my customers and I'm providing a good experience. That may not mean that they sit down in my restaurant. There that may uh, Maybe their restaurant looks totally different. Maybe it's more open air. There's got to be something that's different that provides that comfort to the security to the the patron as well as a profitable business to the business owner. Yeah. Well, let's leave it with that. Sean, this has been a great show. I really appreciate the time, and uh, this has been just some extra perspective that you've been able to provide us. So uh, thank you for joining us down in Sarasota, Florida, and good luck with your travels back to uh, Carnegie Mellon. And uh, when when you come through Tallahassee or Destin, Florida, give me a shout, and we'll stop in and uh, stop in and see me. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for joining us on Answers That Count. I am Charles Musgrove. If you have any any show ideas, email me at cmusgrove at answersthatcount.com. Check us out on answersthatcount.com. You can see all of our past shows, both the audio and the YouTube shows there. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace.